Well, I think I better identify really who I am because people get mixed up really who I am. You know, I travel all over every week speaking somewhere or around the world. And when I go through an airport or hotel, I can see them over in the corner and they're kind of talking to each other and pointing at me. Finally, one of them gets enough nerve to come up to me and say, did anybody ever tell you that you look like, and I know what they're gonna say. So I hit it up. I say, Brad Pitt? <laughs> now it really hurts me when you laugh that way. <laughs> but they always say, you remind me, we all thought you were Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Cowboys, you know, the football team. Now that's bad enough, but not too long ago, I was speaking at Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> And somebody came up to me. I was waiting on catching the, uh, the car to the speaker that night. And a lady walked up to me and said, did anybody ever tell you you look like? And I knew what she was going to say, I thought. And she said, President Biden. <laughs> and I said, come on, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can take this thing a little too far, how many realize? But uh, it really is a joy to be here. And uh, I am Tommy Barnett, and they, they call me the Pope over there, that's true. But uh, it's so great to be here today. I want you to forgive me if I'm a little sentimental here this morning. Because this coming October, I will turn, well, 86 years of age. And I will have been preaching, this will be the anniversary, 70 years I've been preaching the gospel. I started 16 years of age, full-time ministry, traveling all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm not only sentimental because of that, I've been married to the same old gal for 59 years. I'd rather fight than switch, amen. But I guess the main reason I'm a little sentimental is to be here with your pastors. I love them so very much, Pastor Madden and Hillary. I want you to know they're two of the most dynamic, sweet people, come on, in all the world. And to walk on this campus, I saw many years ago the little campus on the side here, and I drove up today, it's like a jewel. What you have done with this place, the way you fixed it up, it, you can tell this church is full of love. When you walk through the lobby, all of you are lovers here, and everybody loves a lover, amen? Somebody ought to write a song about that. Maybe I can, everybody loves a, pretty good. Think that'll make it? I'll make a hit right there. But uh, it's, it's so great to be here with you all, and I love you very, very much. And just briefly, and then I'm gonna speak. Uh, on the way out, recently, uh, on my 80th birthday, they had a big celebration at our church, and they invited many, many of the celebrities of America to come and celebrate. One of them was, as many of you know, I'm the Chancellor of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, University of now about 12,000 people, and it's a great, the, the largest Pentecostal university in the world, actually. And uh, they commissioned that day the president of the university that I write my memoirs. 
So I spent the next three years busy on this book entitled, What If? Now it's not a book of regret looking back and saying, what if? No, it's looking ahead because God speaks to people in different ways. People hear visions, they hear voices, they see dreams. God doesn't speak to me that way. The way that God has always spoken to me is he opened up an opportunity. And I said to myself, this could be God. I'm not sure if it is or not, but I'll never know until I go down that road. And when I go down that road, God provides provision for the vision and it opens up another door. And I say, I'm not sure if that's God or not, but I'll never know until I go down that road. And that's the way that God deals with me. And that's what this book is about. It's a novel. It's written in story form. Really, I now only have the books that you're getting. They're all gone. This is it. I think I brought 51 books and that's it. So when it's over, I'll be glad to sign it for you. And not only that, but if you're, if you're not a hugger, buy the book and run because I'm going to hug you. Amen. <laughs> if I have to tackle you, I'm going to hug you on the way out. So stop by. I'd love to shake your hand and just let you know how proud I am of Signal Hill Dream City Church. You're amazing people. I'm proud of you. Proud of you, Hillary. Proud of you, Matt. You're just a great couple. Amen. I got a little response here. Thank you very much. The message I'm going to preach you is really very, very simple. It's really not a message. It's more of an impartation. You see, when the pandemic hit, everything changed. People became lackadaisical. They dropped out of church. Churches quit. People quit God. They quit church. And so I think I have a very, very relevant sermon to hear. A very unusual title, and you're going to argue with me. But stick with me for the sermon. I think you'll understand. I want to speak to you on the subject of the honor of wanting to quit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come down now and take my mind. But even more than my mind, I pray that you will take my spirit and anoint it with the Holy Spirit because I believe I have a word especially for individuals here today. I pray that they will give me their minds and open their hearts, God. I do not ask for the joy of preaching a great message, but I have a great truth and let it come alive, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you women ever wanted to take the dishes out of the cabinet and just throw them against the wall? I mean, grab the drapes, yank them down. Pour sand down the sink. Drown the husband in the bathtub, amen. Take that old remote control, throw it out the window and never have to watch a football game again. And all the women said, Hey, man, while driving to work, how many have ever said on the way, I think I'll just stop by and punch the boss out? <laughs> Leave your wife a note saying, find another guy. <laughs> Trade your wife for a good old bird dog and just hunt and fish and play golf the rest of your life. And all the men said, Amen. bunch of chickens out there, you see? 
The ladies, amen, but the women were quiet. Hey, let me talk to pastors. Pastor Matt, Hillary, the pastors in the pay. How many have ever wanted to shoot the sound man? Amen. <laughs> Trip the music director as he walks across the platform. Turn up the air conditioning as high as you can get it and turn up the sound and let the grandmas gripe. Amen. <laughs> Just get up and say, you can have the whole mess. Never have to work again. Never have to raise a budget. As we investigate this truth, I have a scripture. It is found in Galatians chapter six and verse nine. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Hey, if you've ever wanted to quit, you're in good company. The list of those who wanted to quit read like history's hall of fame. Jeremiah the prophet, he wanted to quit. Matter of fact, he did quit for a while. Got himself a little cabin by the river out in the woods. But the Bible said he made a mistake. He began to be, read the Bible and a fire began to burn within his bosom. He, but he wanted to quit. Abraham, who was called the friend of God, but a depression came, a recession came and he wanted to quit. Peter that walked on water, Peter the one that when Jesus was being crucified, denied the faith, denied the church, denied the Lord, even cursed God, Peter did that, and desired to quit. Martin Luther, the great, great reformer that he was, crawled up St. Peter's Cathedral on his knees, quoting, the just shall live by faith. But the hierarchy decided that he was preaching false things. So they threatened to kill him. And in his biography, he said he wanted to quit. John the Baptist, who was the greatest ever born of man except for Jesus Christ, the Bible said, wanted to quit. Charles Spurgeon, at the age of 18 without any education, pastored the greatest church in all of England. It was called the Pearl of Great Preachers. At the age of 56, he died a depressed man wanting to quit. Winston Churchill, in the midst of the war, when bombs were falling over England and people were hiding in subways, the man who stood on television and said to them, never turn back, never turn back. But he writes in his biography that he had bouts of deep depression that made him want to quit. In fact, all of the great men of God and women of God that I have known, and by the way, I've known most of the great ones that God has raised up, have confessed to me that they had moments in life that they wanted to quit. Needless to say, I am not a great man, but I too have wanted to quit, and so have you. And so has anybody that has ever done anything great for God. And so today, I want to make four statements about quitting that could literally save your life. You ready to go? Statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Because successful people are the only ones who can quit because they got something to quit. 
several years ago, they picked me up to take me to the venue that I was to speak at. On the way we drove by, it looked like where a great housing addition had started. But it looked like maybe they'd run out of money because there were only foundations, but no houses. But if you looked in the corner, you saw that a house had been built, but it had burnt to the ground. And I decided that I'd rather be the house that burned than the house that was never built. You see, one had served its purpose at least for a while, while the other had never fulfilled his purpose. And by the way, I have more respect for the person who fails but tries than the person who never tried in the first place. So number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Number two, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. The higher you go, the more frightening it becomes. And you want to quit. The lonelier it becomes. The higher you go, the more dangerous, the colder. The risk is even greater. And you want to quit. So statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. State number two, the more you have to quit, you more you want to quit. But number three is my favorite. It really is my personal scripture. You know, I kind of covet it just for myself. Matter of fact, it's so good, I'm not going to share that with you. Let me move on. <laughs> How many would like to hear it? Yeah. Okay, now, think with me now. You can enjoy the luxury of wanting to quit if you know you're not going to quit. Well, Pastor Barnett, how do you know you're not going to quit? Because I've never quit. I've been preaching this gospel almost 70 years. I have in my billful an American Express card. And let me just look at it again to remind myself. I've had this since 1962. How many were born before 1962? One person in this building. <laughs> Only one. Amen and me. Now, you have to pay your bill every month with American Express. Every month or else they take it away. I've been doing that all these years. So consequently, because I've been so faithful at doing that, I can borrow money. I'm told that you can borrow a million dollars off of this card because I paid the bills from then. Consequently, I could borrow money because I got a record. Therefore, it doesn't bother me if I want to quit. So I can say to myself, I think I'll just quit without quitting because I know I'm not going to quit. Isn't that good? Amen. Now, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit when I pastored my first church in Davenport, Iowa. The church income for the year was $20,000 for the entire year. They paid the bills. If they had any money left, they paid the pastor. Finally, we sold the building to build another one. We sold the building and the property for $10,000. I wanted to quit because I had 76 of the meanest Christians in that church you'd ever seen in your life. Just to get enough inspiration to preach, I would quote that scripture, be not dismayed by their faces. 
They used to say little things like, we're not big, but we're spiritual. We're not big, but we're clean. They're almost clean out of business, if you know what I mean. But I didn't quit. Pastor, have you ever felt like leaving your wife? No, I felt like killing her, but not leaving her. I'm a killer, not a quitter. That's what I am. When I was 60 years of age to raise money to buy the Los Angeles Dream Center, I ran from Phoenix to LA 436 miles on my 60th birthday. I lost all my toenails, had blisters all over the bottom of my feet. My feet swelled from nines and a halves to almost twelves during the trip. I developed phlebitis in my legs. I almost lost my mind, but I didn't quit. I did it. Well, one person said, Pastor, I know, I know what kept you going. It was your love for all those little kids in LA that you love so much. Can I be honest with you? About five o'clock in the morning when I got up to start running, it was cold up in the mountains and hot in the desert. As far as I was concerned, every kid in LA could have gone to the booger man. I did not care, amen. <laughs> well, you'll say, Pastor, then what kept you going? It was the call that kept me going. You see, nobody should go into the ministry because they just have a burden. You see, a burden comes and goes. Many a young man or woman comes to LA and they see the human trafficking. They see the children. They see the hurting people. They see the homeless and they get a burden. So they come to work and volunteer to LA. And about the time that somebody puts a gun to your head or somebody gives you a half of a peace sign, and I'm not talking about the one-way sign either, amen. About the time that someone curses you and tells you they hate you, you'll be amazed how many of them want to quit. So the next question is, how can I keep from quitting, Pastor Barnett? I'm going to give you three ways real quick. You got to burn, number one, the bridges behind you. When I took Matthew over the LA, he was 21 years of age. He was a pastor of the little church that came out of the Azusa Street Revival. All that was left was about 25 very elderly, very, very old people, about 85, amen. <laughs> and they were Filipino people. Most of them did not speak English. So I'm putting a 20-year-old boy, doesn't speak the language, old congregation. And I'll never forget, I get, I said to him, now son, being the pastor of a church, you cannot date the girls. Well, he'd have to date an 85-year-old girl, amen. <laughs> it wasn't that big a challenge to him, you know. But I said, why don't you on your day off fly over to Phoenix? It's just a short trip. At that time, the fare was really about $50. And we have a, a lot of wonderful eligible girls in our church. But he never did. One day I said, Luke, Matthew, why don't you come over on your day off and spend time? And he said, Dad, if I did, I'd never want to go back because he knew what it was like to have a gun put to his head. 
and say, I'm dying with AIDS, the man said, and I'm gonna kill you and then I'm gonna kill myself to make a statement for AIDS. But he burned the bridges behind him. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you gotta burn the bridges. You can't run with the old crowd you used to. You can't go to the places that you used to. You gotta burn the bridges behind you or else you'll quit. Statement number two, don't tell anybody that you wanna quit when you wanna quit because they might take you up on it. You can tell them after the fact, but never while you're going through the battle. And number three, don't expose yourself to what you don't wanna be because you're gonna be in the next 10 years one of three things You'll be a product of who you hang out with, so don't hang out with negative people. Don't run around people that say, I love my church, but, and they get the billy goat religion and butt the pastor around for a while and butt their church around. No. Number two, you'll be the product of the places that you visit, travel. Or number three, you'll be the product of the books that you read. And number four, if you don't want to turn back, lock yourself in so that you cannot quit. Several years ago, my wife and I took a few days and we have a place in LA to take a, about a four day vacation to LA. And I remember when we were flying on the plane, I picked up the paper and I read what was going on in LA and I read that the Phoenix Suns were playing the Lakers. Now, if you don't know who the Phoenix Suns are, they're God's team, the Suns. <laughs> and if you don't know who the Lakers are, they're the team from down under, amen. And I'm not talking about Australia either, amen. I mean, this is the way I feel about the Lakers. Now, don't fall out with me. But if the Lakers were playing the Taliban, I'd pull for the Taliban. That's how I feel. <laughs> I said to my wife, honey, we're gonna go see the Lakers play the Suns tonight. She said, no, we're not, we're going shopping. <laughs> I said, no, you don't understand. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. We'll go to Staples and get to see them. Now we're going shopping. And being the man that I am, I put my foot down and I said, Don, I, we're gonna go see the Suns play the Lakers. And she said, we're going shopping. Well, Abraham Lincoln once said that he wanted to paint his house brown and his wife wanted to paint it green. So they compromised and they painted it green. Amen. <laughs> we went shopping, that's right, amen. You see, I told my wife that my mind is made up. But she told me that her heart was fixed. And there's a difference. David said that his heart was fixed. And so is mine. You got to lock yourself in or else you'll go back. Every week we have a staff meeting and I have a little sheet that they, that they fill out how many contacts they made, how many people they led to Christ, any new projects and so forth. And at the bottom of it, there's that little slogan, great men and women 
are just ordinary men or women that wouldn't quit. I close with an illustration. The 30th anniversary, several years ago in our church, we had a big celebration. They, they honored Maria, my wife, and myself. At the end of the service, one of the uh, people remembered when they were finding how they could bless us that I preached a sermon one time, and I said, before I die, I'd like to fly that Concord jet that's no longer in existence from Phoenix to, to uh, London. I mean, it got there in about two hours. That's all it took to get there. So they surprised us and gave us a trip on the Concord jet, Mari and I. Kind of worried me because they gave us a one-way ticket and uh, <laughs> I didn't know if it was trying to make a statement or not. We had a wonderful time there. And when, when we came back, they kept us at a, the beautiful hotel there and we flew back to LA then I went to the Dream Center. I didn't expect anything there, you know. But they picked us up in a black limousine. And I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. They drove a couple of blocks down, went to a hangar, and said, get out. I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. We went out to this hangar. And there was a, a jet helicopter. And they said, get inside. I said, where are we going? Don't ask any questions. The jet helicopter took off and across the metropolis of LA, it began to fly. And soon it came to the beach and kept going out in the blue Pacific. And I said to myself, they're gonna bury me out here in the Pacific. <laughs> and then I saw a little speck of land and it circled and began to land. It was beautiful Catalina Island. Another little limousine was there to pick us up. They drove us around the island, a little tour, and then we had lunch and back on another, that same helicopter. But as it took off and headed back, when it got to the shoreline, it banked and went up Santa Monica. And then it banked again and went over Beverly Hills. The lady flying the helicopter said, if you look down, there's Liberace's famous estate. I looked down and said, wow, that's amazing. We flew a little further and said, there's Steven Spielberg. That's where he lives. Wow, what a place. We flew a little further and looked down and said, and there's the Playboy Mansion. And I went. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, amen. <laughs> They banked and flew a little further and the helicopter just hovered over the Hollywood sign. And then it banked again and down through the big buildings of LA we began to fly. And then it landed on top of the building right across the street from the Dream Center. That night, and they picked us up and took us to our place that we stayed. They said, we'll pick you up tonight at quarter till six for the service. We came down from where we lived and got in the, there was a limousine. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a limousine man. It embarrasses me when I see a limousine. But my wife, she's different. She feels like she was created for the limousine, you know. 
and we drove to the Dream Center to church service at Angela Stipple. But the guy parked about a block away. And I said, why are we parking here? He said, oh, the crowd is so big. But when we turned the corner, I, I realized why he parked there. There was a red carpet all the way down, down for one block to the Dream Center. I remember as we walked down and we got near, there were a crowd of, of hundreds of people lined up on each side of the sidewalk. They had plaques. We love you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, thank you. And they were screaming at the top of their voice, we love you, Pastor. A throng of people as we walked through that canyon of humanity. The first group were those big old guys that I go visit at the Dream Center every week. They come out of prison. I mean, their biceps are big as my legs. Huge guys. I always hit them on the shoulder. And if they hit back, I say, don't touch the anointed. Amen. Thank <laughs> God. There's tears streaming down their cheeks. We love you, preacher. Thank you. And they reach out and I'm, I'm being hugged. And you talk about tears coming down my cheeks. I walked a little further and there were the women in discipleship. Many of them come to discipleship with their teeth all rotted out from drugs or evil men who knock them out. We give them teeth, we fix them up and give them a pearly smile. And when they first come, they're very hostile. They don't even want to look at you. They cover their mouth and look down. But here's the same women with their pearlies gleaming in the sunlight. We love you, Pastor. Tears streaming down their cheeks. Mascara was pouring down my wife's cheeks. She looked like the grapes of wrath. I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> We walked a little further and there were the kids that came out of teen discipleship. These are the kind of kids that they brought to the Dream Center that would blow up a school and kicked out of school. They had no place to go. And then we walked inside of Angela's Temple. It was filled with people. They had banners. They had signs they're screaming, we love you, pastor. We love you, pastor. We love you, pastor. And I looked over at my wife and that mascara was pouring down her cheeks. And my mind went back immediately that when I first met her, I was preaching in Palo Alto, California. My uncle had been killed by train and he was a pastor. And they asked me to come for three months while they went through this. And the first week I was there, I looked back just before I preached and in walked the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Later I found out she'd just come over for Sweden to fly for Scandinavian Airlines. She'd won a beauty contest. And boy, did I preach hard that morning, amen. <laughs> and when I gave the altar call, she came and knelt and I felt led to pray with her, amen, thank God. <laughs> I stayed three months and I felt like she needed personal teaching from me for three months. At the end of that three months, I said, forget Scandinavian Airlines and come fly with me, amen. <laughs> and we were married. It was very difficult for my wife. When we traveled to churches, the ministry was completely new. Her dad was an atheist. 
All she knew was what she'd learned in the last few days. We finally decided it'd be better if we'd go and be with my parents. He pastored a wonderful church in Kansas City to get her used to the ministries. So we did. She tried so hard, but it was very difficult for her. One morning I went to the door because you see, the church couldn't pay very much, so I trimmed trees in the morning. I worked at an oil store in the afternoon, and then at night, I would do the ministry of the church. I went to the door that day, dirty in my clothes to go out and trim trees, and there was my wife with her suitcase in hand. I said, what are you doing? She said, Tommy, I just can't do the ministry. I've tried so hard. She's weeping now. I love you with all my heart, but I'm a hindrance to you in the ministry. I just can't do this. I'm leaving to go to California to be with my friends to get life sorted out. My heart broken. I argued, but I could not win, and I took her to the airport. I remember as I watched the plane take off, I thought to myself, this is the end of me in the ministry. I tried to sleep, but I could not. When the phone rang, and it was Maria, she said in her broken Swedish, told me, I think I made a terrible mistake. Can I come home? The next day I picked her up at the airport. We went out to get in the car at the parking garage. But before I started, I joined hands with her. And we both prayed this prayer. God, we're going to make this thing work. For better, for worse, for richer or poor. We won't quit. As I looked at her on the platform with tears streamed down her cheeks, she ran over to me and put her arms around me and squeezed me tight and said, told me I'm so glad that we didn't quit. You see, if we'd quit, there wouldn't have been a Matthew. There wouldn't have been a dream center. There wouldn't have been a Luke and there wouldn't have been a dream center church. There wouldn't have been a Christie who's reached out in human trafficking. You say, Pastor Barnett, we're so glad you didn't quit. Then don't you quit. Don't you quit on your husband. Don't you quit on your wife. Don't quit on that marriage. Don't quit on your son or your daughter. Don't quit on your church. But most of all, don't quit on God because he never quit on you. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, the service will come to a close in just a few minutes, but just before I close, I can almost feel the rush of the angels' wings. As they hover over this building, I feel the heavy presence of the Holy Spirit, and I know that heaven is just watching to see what takes place today. Divorces may be averted, broken homes, shattered lives. So 
So whatever head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to make, first of all, an appeal to people who will say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I don't know, God. I've never maybe had a relationship or, or Pastor, I kind of quit on God. I'm in a backsliding condition. I am so sorry. Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need God. And I need Him now. No one is looking at this audience. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. But I pray better when I know who I'm praying for. So while every head is bowed, and the Bible said it's very important that we make a, a commitment even publicly, but heads will be bowed, I, eyes are closed. I'll see your hand and God will. How many will put your hand up and say, Pastor, I need God. Would you pray for me? Raise your hand right now all over this building. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's at least 25 people. Keep raising them. Yes, they're still going up. They're still going up. This is beautiful. The Holy Spirit is here. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet. I want no one to move from the auditorium. And I want every eye closed right now. And I want to pray. But I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. It's called the prayer of repentance. And when you pray this prayer with a genuine, sincere heart, then God hears and, and God forgives. So I'm going to ask all of you that raised your hands and you that did not raise your hand, I want you to join with them to encourage them. I want this prayer to sound like thunder, not some just little prayer. I want it to boom out. So together, this is the moment that Jesus died for. That's right. So I want every one of you to join me in this prayer. Come on, shout it loud and strong. Dear God, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. You said that if I would ask you, that you would forgive me. And I believe you, Lord. I repent of my sins. I give my life to you. You are now my Lord. You are now my Savior. You are now my King. And I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good clap offer right now. Come on, make it ring. Make it ring strong. Oh, thank God. Pastor Matt is going to come and tell you what you new Christians can do, how we can be a help to you that raise your hand. Such a multitude. But you know, just before you come here, Pastor, I wonder how many will raise your hand and say, and I want you to close your eyes again. Pastor, I love God, I'm saved. But I'll be honest with you, if I ever needed a message, I needed it this morning. There's an area that I have been tempted to quit on, even life. And Pastor, just pray for me. If God spoke to you in this message, you know it was few, put your hand up real high. Put them up real high. Oh my goodness. Father, 
I don't know if I've ever been in service per capita. I've seen so many people responding and raising their hand. I thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray these people will not look back. They'll look ahead. They'll bury the past and look to the future. You've got a hope. You've got a future. You've got great things for these people if they'll just move out for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Let's all just put our hands up if you're comfortable. Come on, put them up high. And will you all just begin to thank God right there loudly at your seat. Come on, let's praise God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done this morning. We worship you and adore you. In Jesus' wonderful name. Thank you, Jesus.